Hi, friends. Welcome to the Gritty and Curious Show, a podcast where we have conversations with gritty and curious people. I'm your host, Austin Schlesinger, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with the gritty and curious Grant Talek. Grant Talek is a trailblazer in the audio space. He is the co-founder of the digital agency Authentic, that is Authent and then IQ. He's known for sending prospective clients audio messages and sharing his unique perspective on digital to leverage new business. He also is known for going on walks in order to spur creative ideas, and that's one of the biggest things he posts about on LinkedIn. He's huge on LinkedIn, so hit him up on LinkedIn. Today, we discuss how to build your network on LinkedIn, how to stay consistent on socials, attending the best entrepreneurship college in the United States. Grant Alec went, he graduated from Babson College which is where I wanted to go, but I ended up going to Rutgers instead. We also discussed the future of education, the true value of attending college, Tesla stock, volatility, and Elon Musk, which is always fun to talk about, and how to stay focused on what you're working on and block out all the hate that you might be getting for starting a new project, starting a new podcast. I know I got a lot of questions when I was starting Gritty and Curious. I still get a lot of questions. So just kind of how to deal with that conflict and the people that are asking you all these things that might be trying to pull you in different directions. So this was a great conversation and I can't wait to share it with you all. So let's get right into it. So I guess the first question I want to ask you, because it's very relevant based on your website is what do you think the future of voice is? Uh, That is a really good question. I know know, Gary V talks about the future marketing is voice, future marketing is voice. And kind of what he's talking about when he, he discusses that is that um, a lot of our interactions with Google, for instance, like instead of instead of typing um, into the phone, you're just going to speak and write. Things are going to pop up. You can already do that, but it's not perfect. Um, voice dictation is not perfect right now. Um, but what I've found is that voice is just a way quicker way for me to get my thoughts out there than typing, right? And, uh, and also Elon Musk talks a lot about like why Neuralink would be so impactful um, and su- such an accelerant for our cognitions. Cause like right now when we're partnered with our phones, all we can do is type with our two thumbs <laughs> and maybe some people can add another finger in there. I don't know, I can't, but um, <laughs> it, uh, it's slow. The, the interaction between you and your phone with your thumbs is slow for you to turn your thought and, and then type it and then to get it out there slow, but your voice is much faster. Um, it's kind of right in between typing and then your and then imagine if your phone could just knew, knew your thoughts, right? That's a scary thought to me, but that's kind of what, um, you know, Neuralink is kind of going after, um, you know, technology and humans combined. Um, your voice is just a way quicker way for you to get your ideas out there, ask questions. And I think what we're going to realize is that um, with all of the media that we consume, um, in, in us interacting with websites online, um, us interacting with like chatbots, that voice is just a more efficient, more effective way to do it. So I think it's going to infiltrate you know, a lot of things. But um, the biggest thing with voice is that you know, over the last 20 years, whatever it may be, we have um, we have shifted to we have you know the digital landscape has become such a big part of our daily lives and we've kind of lost a lot of that human touch but bringing voice and video back into um digital media just makes it way more human and allows us to build more like authentic relationships um 
with our vendors, clients, customers, things of that nature. So I think the voice is a vessel for us to be more human with digital media. Yeah, I love how you put that. And there's, I think there's a video that you recently put out talking about content creation and how content has to be geared towards your senses. And I couldn't agree more because like I mentioned before, going onto your website and if you're listening to this, go to authentic or type in authentic with IQ on Google, go to their website and there's a play button and you can click the play button and listen to Grant speak and talk about his business while you're browsing the website. Yeah, so it's authenticmarketing.com. You can get there that way. Authentic with a Q. Right. Thank you. But that's like it. I mean, when I went to your website, that's what I was thinking. I'm like, this is awesome because I want to hear the voice behind who's producing all of this content and the who's driving this business and learn about the things I want to learn about. So I could, you know, go through and I can check out your blog posts. I can check about like learn about other things that you're doing while I'm listening to the person that's in the voice that's actually producing all of this stuff. And that's unique. And that's, I've never seen this on a website before. And I was like, this is a very good idea. Yeah. First of all, thank you for that. And uh, I want to encourage other people to do that on their sites. First of all, um, you could record a one minute audio clip of yourself speaking, talk about what problem you solve, you know, what your solution is. Um, and then you could even bring it through a free service. Like you'd post on SoundCloud and then just embed the SoundCloud player onto your site um, and just give your website visitors a different opportunity, a different way for uh, them to engage with your, with your site. Um, one of the cool things about voice and about voice content, as opposed to text, like when you press play, you consuming that media becomes passive, right? It continues to play and you just have to listen. It's pretty easy. You could go for a walk, you could be in the car and you just listen. Whereas if you're reading something, you have to be eyes glued to the phone and, you know, actively, um, actively reading through that, right? It's a little bit easier to get distracted sometimes I find. Um, so voice is more passive, reading is more active. And therefore with our short attention spans these days, um, voice is a much easier way to consume content and consume ideas than text. Exactly. And I like how you said it's, it's passive, you know, you can go on a walk, you can be commuting, you can be cooking and you can be listening to things and absorbing content. And you just started a, you're, you're challenging your followers to take a 20 minute walk each day and to send 10 minute personalized voice messages via you know LinkedIn or whichever way. What kind of inspired you to, to start this challenge? And what's your goal with, with challenging people to do this? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Thank you for that. Uh, well, first of all, I'm a very active outdoors person. I love to go on walks. I love running. I love surfing, biking, skiing. Like that is one of, that's one of the things that makes me happiest in life. Um, my work, digital marketing with Authentic, is, a lot of it's behind the computer. Um, right. Spend a lot of time, a lot of our time behind the computer, behind our phones, interacting with people, with clients, posting content, building sites, things of that nature. Right. So I want to discover a way that I could um, fulfill my day to day activities, you know, do my job while on the move, while walking, while doing something active. And uh, actually, one way I do this is 
when it's not coronavirus times, back in Somerville, just outside of greater Boston, where I live, there's a place called Brooklyn Boulders. It's a rock climbing gym. They also have a co-working space. So I'll work there. And then, you know, every hour, two hours, I can take a quick break by going rock climbing for 15 minutes and then get back to my computer. Right. So it's a way to me be for it's a way for me to be intermittently active throughout the day. But I wanted to think about ways that I can be active and work at the same time. Right. So about five weeks ago, maybe back in May of 2020, um, I decided I wanted to walk from nine to five the entire work day. And along the way, I would document the process. I would send voice messages on LinkedIn. I'd post video content. And I want to do it because I wanted to encourage people to think differently about their work days, especially while we're quarantined, we're at home. Like there's just so many people. Um, and I've done this for days where you just spend your whole day at home, you're behind your computer, you're maybe watching TV later at night. And it's like, I personally know that if I don't get outdoors and active throughout the day, the quality of my life decreases and I'm just not happy. Right. So I wanted to inspire people to get outside, do it safely, but also do it in a way that's productive. So I did this from nine to five. I walked 26.5 miles during that time. Um, I sent out like 70 voice messages to people on, on LinkedIn. Um, and I recorded eight or nine videos that I ended up posting, um, to LinkedIn as well. Right. So, um, and through that, the attention that it, led actually brought in a few inbound leads through that camp through that campaign right so not only was it a fun day for me it was it was active but it was also productive and it and, it, and brought in in business what i'm doing this month for june is what i realize is that walking 26.5 miles in one day is just not sustainable <laughs> so <laughs> uh for first of all for myself but for anyone um so i'm for all of june i'm walking five miles a day each weekday um, during, yeah, during the weekdays. And during that time, it takes about an hour and a half. I send out probably 20 voice messages that are personalized, just introducing myself to that new connection on LinkedIn. And then also just letting those walks inspire thought that then inspire content that I can share with my audience and hopefully provide them value. Um, so again, even five miles a day is kind of a lot. So I wanted to make it a little, little easier, a little more digestible. So I'm encouraging people to go for a 20 minute walk and along that walk, just send out 10 voice messages to people in your network that you want to learn more about or get to know better. Or instead of that, you just record one video and you could either just post that video um, you know, natively on LinkedIn or you could edit it up, add some subtitles to it, you know, add a headline to it um, and make it more of a, a professional aesthetic. Uh, that's what I do with my videos. Um, but yeah, really the goal is, so we want to, I want to help encourage people to kill two birds, one stone, be productive on their walks, but also go for a walk because it makes them happy and healthy. So, um, yeah. I love that. I think it's, it's an awesome, an awesome idea. I do something similar, but I've been running instead and like, I'll, you know, I'll go, go for a run and I'll pop in like a, an audio book or something. And the issue is that I'll be running and I'll have an idea and I either have to stop, which then I'm like, oh, I have to stop running. Like this, this <laughs> sucks. Or I just, I just keep going and it just like floats away. So I'm going to have to try, I'm going to have to try doing the walks so then I can actually like write down what's actually going through my mind. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I, what you were saying there, actually, I, I did that a while back. I, I, uh, I love to like learn. So I try to read books, but I get distracted after like 15 or 20 pages because I like, 
I'm an active person. I want to be up. I want to be maybe moving around and doing stuff. And um, I just can't sit down for an entire day and read a book. That's my problem. So I decided I would just take an audio book and I would just go for a walk until I finished it. And like three hours later, I was done with the book. And I was like, well, this is like an awesome way. Not only was I active, but also I read an entire book. I haven't done that in, you know, a year. So in one day. So I think that's, that is a good way to do, do learning as well. So what do you think, like as a result of COVID and people getting back to work and going back to the office, how do you think work is kind of going to change or the way that people work and where people work is going to change as a result of what happened in relation to kind of what you're doing right now? Because I can see what you're doing, you know, going, going on a walk or working in a, a co-working space where you also have opportunity to go out and move. What do you think that future of work is going to look like? Awesome question. Thanks for it. Cause I've thought a lot about it over the last few weeks. Me too. Um, man. <laughs> few months. And the thing is my perspective is a little skewed because before the coronavirus situation started, um, I was already working remote and on, on my own. Uh, at the same time though, th- what has changed for me is I went from working in co-working spaces, um, or the rock climbing gym in Brooklyn boulders. And I went to having to work at home and kind of having to create that own active environment for me. So I guess that has inspired me to, like I said, you know, go for walks and like stay active around my house. Um, but I definitely think it's going to change the way we look at work. One of the cool things about remote work is your managers, they don't, they don't know exactly what you're doing throughout the days, right? So the only thing that they can measure is your output and actually the results that you're providing, um, you know, your deliverables, right? So it doesn't matter how much time you take, it takes to get that done, or the process you take, it really just makes you dependent um, or accountable for the output, right? So it doesn't matter if you're the person that's showing up 45 minutes the op, you know, early to the office and leaving an hour late um, because no one knows, right? <laughs> so really you're, you just need to get your work done. And I think a lot of people are finding that they can be, they can do just as much, if not more in a let in less amount of time than they were previously by going into the office. Now, on the other hand, there are a lot of roles that just require that in-person interaction they require that like constant, instant team communication. And I think they're suffering a lot. So it depends on the role. I can't give you specific examples, but I think the realization that people are going to have is that for a lot of jobs, you can do them just as effectively at home in less time, which gives you more opportunity to do the things that you really want to do with your day potentially, because you can do your work more efficiently um, and quickly. So I think that this situation has opened people's eyes up to that. And uh, I think some managers are will be pretty resentful of this whole situation, may never want to go back to remote work, but some are going to embrace it. So I, I think it'll be somewhat polarizing in that extent, but we're definitely learning. Yeah, it's going to be interesting how everything pans out. And a lot of corporations are thinking about how they're going to get back to work because there's so many different complications with 
coming back and going into the office and doing those, that type of thing. And I think that we're learning a lot now, you know, how to work remotely. Like I think that this huge, this has been kind of like a huge AB test for remote work. People are learning how to do it most effectively and guys like you who kind of figured it out and like understand, okay, you know, I can, I can create my own schedule. I, I need to, you know, go outside. I need to move around. If I'm not, if I don't do that, then I'm not going to be as productive and taking those best practices, implementing those, and then embedding them in the future of work and in offices. Yeah. And by no means do I have it all figured out yet. Like I'm always trying to try new things and test out new things. Like there's no one formula for how you should run your work day. I think I used to think there was, but now I'm realizing is that like, for, depending on the environment, the city you're in, like there's going to be a different routine for you based on your interest too, like a different routine that makes you most productive and most happy. So this month, June, I'm walking five miles a day. This is an experiment and I'm going to see where it leads me. And maybe at the end of the month, I'm like, this is not, this is actually not that productive and it actually makes me stressed out. Or by the end of the month, of the month I'm like, this is awesome. I'm going to keep doing it. So I'd say like, I just want to encourage people to think of each week as a new time to try something different. Um, maybe next week, instead of getting right into work in the morning, you start reading for a little bit. You read with your with your coffee um, and take an hour just to read. Do something you enjoy. Maybe go for a walk. Maybe go for a run. But like, be very intentional about those first two hours of your day. Um, but run it as an experiment. Maybe it doesn't work for you. I think that's that's what people have to understand there's no one formula and you just have to experiment personally. Exactly. And I'm a big fan of like 30 day challenges. Like when I, at the beginning of the year, so beginning of 2020 and it's been going downhill, but I, (laughs) I, I did, I did like a few challenges. Um, the first one I did is that I did a blog post every day for 30 days. And then I did, what was the next one? I went on a social media detox and then it's kind of been nice. sporadic ever since, which was an awesome experiment. Like I, I encourage every anyone and everyone to turn your social media off for 30 days. I mean, be intentional with it. If you need to use it for work or other stuff, do it. But mm-hmm. I think there's so much value in that. And um, I think just going off of the, the whole 30-day concept, a lot of the a lot of people do these 30 day challenges like on YouTube or you see yourself that you're challenging people to do these things, but it's hard for people to kind of decide, you know, what they, what they want to do for that period. You know, what, what is their goal? Like, what is their passion? And I kind of want to talk about like, how, how did you get to that point where you started saying, you know, walking five miles every day for 30 days is productive for what I'm doing because I want to get to here and kind of where you found that and how you're structuring what you're doing around where you want to go. Yeah. That's a really good question. So I try to think about my, as an entrepreneur, my day-to-day work day is something that I can create and that the, like the standard mold of, of um, my, my work is not something that I have to subscribe to. So um, really, you know, forget that I run an agency, forget that I run, you know, uh, I do website design, help businesses with their digital strategy, like forget all that. Like, 
ask yourself, where, what do you want your workday to look like? Irrespective of your, it doesn't matter if you're an engineer or you're a landscaper or you're an author, uh, what, how do you want to be spending your time during each day? And what I've found is that I love to be active. First of all, I want to go out and do something, um, whether it's walk or, or surf or bike, right? Maybe it's just go on a hike with like a friend or a colleague. Um, I also want to create something, um, you know, actually build something or, or just, yeah, have like something at the end of the day. It's like, oh, this is cool. I'm glad I made that. And then also I love to learn. I like, I love to just explore new passions and, and just if something's interesting me, like right now I've been surfing a lot over the last six weeks, uh, the physics of wave dynamics and what makes a wave, you know, break different, what makes a wave big, it, it is like gripped me. And I'll, in my free time or when I'm walking, sometimes I like have a question. It was like, you know, all right, why do waves, why are some waves bigger than others? And I'll just dive deeper. Right? I love to learn. So I love to learn. I love to create and I love to be active. I'm trying to find ways within my career at Authentic to learn, create, and be active. So the way I learn a lot is I'll read business books. Um, sometimes I'll just read fiction for fun, just to you know boost creativity. Um, I'll you know, consume a lot of content on LinkedIn. Um, try not to do too much because a lot of the content on LinkedIn is just short tidbits, right? And you can only, you can only dive so deep. Um, so yeah, I get my learning out of the way. My creating, I love to create videos. Um, I love to build things and creating content on LinkedIn actually really is fun for me. I love at the end of the day, like I said, just being able to um, go out or yeah, look back and say, all right, I made something today. It's awesome. Um, and then the last one, learn and be active, right? So I've wanted, I figured out a way for me to do outbound sales outreach by walking at the same time. So it, it's, you kind of have to like reverse engineer your work day. Think what, how do you day to day want to be spending your time and then make, make that work day in your current role. Um, it's a little bit harder to do that. If you're working at, at a company, you have managers who are like suggesting things and it may not give you as much freedom or have, you know, their set of best practices. Uh, but since I have complete control over building my own role, it gives me a lot more freedom. So my suggestion there is like, first of all, try a lot of things. But then once you've tried a lot of things, learn what you like and reverse engineer your day to day roles. So do you have like a specific like content calendar or like certain numbers you want to hit per week? Or is it just kind of what comes to you? I try to do one post a day on LinkedIn. Um, the reason I focus so much on LinkedIn is because, you know, my business is in working with other businesses. So that's where other businesses hang out and spend most of their time. It's a professional network. It's, it's growing a lot and an awesome way to engage with other business owners. So that's where I focus the most of my, most of my attention actually for my business, all my attention. Um, because that's just, you know, I want to be laser focused on that and just do that one thing really well. I try to do one post per day, in the past, I've done it just sporadically throughout the days where it's like, all right, I get some inspiration. Um, that I've found is not the best way for me to do it. It it just stresses me out throughout the day. I'm like, oh, I've got this LinkedIn post cloud hanging over me, and I've got to, I've got to do that. And it I hate up, that the the posts end up not being that great, honestly, because I, it's like it's just doing something out of obligation. But what I do is at the beginning of each month, I spend two to three days to spend, and, and really just focus those two to three days on just producing 
the highest quality content I can and doing that all in that one batch and then scheduling all that content out um, and having that set for the next 30 days. Um, so what I've found is that batching that work and diving deep into it is way better for me than doing it day to day because it just, it, I can get in that, that zone of focus throughout those days and actually the most important thing is that the end product is just better and I give more value to the people that are actually watching it. So I would suggest trying that out um, in the future. So what's kind of like the, I mean, you mentioned you go on walks and you love learning and reading like business books, but what's your creative process like, you know, how, how do you take like, your thoughts and put them into ideas and then put them into content, schedule them posting? Like, what does that process look like? Yeah. So usually I come up whenever I have an idea that's good, I write it down. I write it in Apple notes. I open up my phone. I have some folders that I try to, it's kind of messy, but I try to stay organized just so I know where to look. Cool thing about Mine's Apple all notes, over the place. Yeah. And that's actually okay because with Apple notes, you can just search, use the search bar and it'll take you to any of your notes in the entire out of all folders. So I find that's a good way to do it. I also like Apple notes because it's just on my phone and I don't have to have a Wi-Fi connection to get to it. So like there's no really way less friction. Sometimes even I'll just text myself like the idea because ideas are floating. It's like a constant, it's like a wave going through the ocean. Like they're just always moving, always moving, always moving. All the surf analogies. The yeah, it's, we're, we're, we'll go deep here. Um, <laughs> and uh, you just, you just, uh, you can't let those ideas fly away. So um, I write them all down. And then on those two to three days, I go back to those ideas, all those content topics, and then I decide, do I want to turn this into a video? Do I want to turn this into a text post? Um, do I want to turn it into a long form blog post or like a DIY guide? Um, and then I try to do one, this doesn't always happen, but I try to do one post at a time. It's like, all right, I have this content topic. Say it's, all right, seven ways for you to be productive on your morning walks. I get that idea. And I'm just going to flush out that entire idea at once and write out, you know, a like three paragraph uh, summary of it um, to make it to make it ready to post on LinkedIn. Some of those that I write out those text posts with, I'll actually end up making videos for. What I find is that uh, writing it down is a way for me to get create a more comprehensive thought that is uh that actually finishes with like kind of a bang and really like a lesson when I'm just creating videos ad hoc, like if they don't have a plan, they can kind of just wander on and like, you not you don't get to the point fast enough. So what I like to do is like, yeah, seek, seek inspiration often on my walks. Sometimes it's when I'm in bed about to go to sleep, write that down, come back to all those on like a very defined week or day and flush out those ideas one at a time fully. And then once you have a good summary of them, decide whether they're best formatted for a video, text post, or like a long for blog post, you want to really go deep into it. So that's kind of my process. It's always changing though, honestly. Um, so yeah. Yeah, it's a, similar to me. But the problem with me is that like, I'll think of something and I'm like, I need to, I need to write something down right now, or I'm going to forget it, or I need to record, <laughs> I need to record something right now, or it's going to go away. And there's lots of times where like, I'll just pop on like a voice recording and just rant about something for a while or that's awesome. 
you know, and sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's like I listen back on it and I'm like, dude, what was I thinking? Like there, <laughs> then I need to like reorganize my thoughts and maybe, you know, make it a little bit more digestible, I'd say. But yeah. I, re- I really like your approach where you kind of chunk this work together because that's kind of how creativity works, at least for me, where it's like you can go days and weeks without having like really clear and great thoughts. But there's there might be some days where you just like everything, everything clicks and you're just like, dude, like I have the answers. Like I, I just need to put this out there. Like people want that what I'm saying, you know what I mean? So I like that, you know, chunking work, like going on a walk from nine to five and walking 26 miles and just letting just putting your ideas out there. And it's 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 a pretty unique strategy. And it's something that that I admire because I also, you know, prioritize like moving and doing the things that that make you happy. And that's kind of something I also want to talk about is like, how did you settle on you, you knew you wanted to do like some sort of digital marketing, but how do you settle on the ne- the niche of like analyzing the way people move in their lives? Like, how did you how do you narrow in on that? Because it seems like you're pretty you're pretty fixed on that that niche, and that's like a very hard hard thing to do. You know, narrow down. Okay, this is this is my audience. This is what is meaningful to me, and this is what I'm going after. Yeah, that's something that honestly we're always it's, it's always a moving target. And it's like, it comes down to the question. It's like with your, with your unique, like life experience with your unique, um, with your unique, your unique skills, like who can you best serve? What client can you best serve? Um, how can you bring all of those things together that make you unique and like then create the best end result for the client. Right. So like it comes down to a lot of thinking and, the way we move, that's something that is like, I think in my LinkedIn description right now, um, it's something I love to move. I love activity. And it's something that uh, is a common thread for the businesses that I really seek to work with, with Authentic. Um, so these are businesses like outdoor recreation and uh, kayaking companies, right? paddleboard companies, uh, bicycle companies, running running shoe companies. Um the reason I want to work with them is because I love to do that stuff and I have, I have a passion for it. And therefore if I have a passion for something and the businesses that I'm working with, like I want to work that much harder. And also I just have, I have a strong conviction that like, I love to walk places in the city. I, I prefer to walk if I have the chance. Um, and I believe that there are so many different ways to transport ourselves than just by car or by train or by flight. Like, when I graduated college from Babson College, I biked 450 miles from Boston to Philadelphia with my really close friend Hanson, and we did it with all our camping gear on on the back of our bike. Um, Hanson's also runs a business called Thinkboard, um, and he was taking calls from the bike. I was taking calls from my bike, right? Right. So like, we we were we traveled all the way from Boston to Philadelphia completely with our own under our own power, under our own legs. And usually when I tell people that, they're like, well, are you crazy? And honestly, I, I maybe, I don't know, but it was so much fun because we got to see the world in a different light at a different speed. And when you're driving a car on the interstate, you're passing by everything. You're, you're just going through a tunnel, essentially. Um, an above ground tunnel, when you're biking slowly, 
you get to take in all the sights, the sounds, the people, the cities, the towns. Um, so I have a strong conviction that we should discover different ways to transport ourselves. So that's one of the reasons why I'm very interested in sustainable transport. Um, smaller cars, electric cars, electric bikes, cycling infrastructure, how cities can implement better infrastructure in yeah into their cities so that pedestrians are safer, they can move more efficiently. That's just something that I'm passionate about because I've you know had experiences where it opened my eyes to like, all right, this is something that that if it were this way, I think the world might be a little bit of a better place. So the niches that you know, we choose to go after through Authentic, me and my business partner, Mitch, we're both just very passionate about those niches. And, and therefore, that's how we chose them is because we believe in them. And if we, if we can grow those industries, we've done something good for the world. So you talked about sustainable transportation. And that's something that I'm very interested in, too, because certain cities implement it better and every city's and every city is different in the way that people move around and get to where they need to be but it's a concept that can be achieved it just it just needs the right people to focus their time on the those that specific thing and that thing that that matters like i was in last summer i lived in new york and i tried to use a, or the New York City, and I tried to use a city bike as much as I possibly could. A lot of my friends used Uber and stuff, but I downloaded the city bike app, and I was using city bikes, and it was the coolest experience because you take in the sounds from the street. You're actually looking around at the people and everything. People are looking at you like, why is this like nobody's riding city bikes? A lot of people actually do ride city bikes in New York, and it's da- it's dangerous. Like people get hit all the time. You gotta but- be aware. Exactly, exactly. But it's it's interesting, you know, people that was just something I was interested in and I like I like to move around and that was like I'd much rather do this than pay $15 for an Uber and sit in traffic, you know what I mean? I agree. So but yeah, you know, going to visit other cities like I've I've been to Boston, I've been to I was recently in Portland and there there's scooters everywhere there. Like everybody everybody uses scooters. There's you have like 15 different apps on your phone because there's so many different scooters everywhere. So it's interesting to see where that might go. And I think that it's interesting to just to kind of think about those things and think about, you know, how can we, how can we move sustainably? And I like how you were able to kind of like hone in on that, that niche, because that's something that you're passionate about. And that's a question I get like all the time. Like people are like, how do I find my passion? How do I, it's like, just look at yourself, like sit, like th- take a step back and look at the things that mean most, like look what you do every day. What are you reading? Who do you follow on social media? What are the conversations you're having? Yeah. And then it'll come to you. But it's not like a process like, okay, today I'm going to find my passion. Like, that. I mean, at least for me, I could be wrong, but like, it's not something that just clicks and it's just like, okay, all right, now, now I'm pivoting and like, that's what I want to do. Yeah, it's hard. I don't think you ever stop finding your passions. It's not like, I think finding your passion is a is a process. It's not an end result. It's not some Mount Everest that you go to and you get to the top and you're like, this is my passion. You look out and it's like these beautiful white mountains everywhere and it's my passion, right? It's not like that. It's finding your passion is one step after the next, after the next, after the next of trying things that you 
trying new things, trying things that you enjoy, diving deeper into your into your thoughts and passions. Because what you might be passionate about when you're 12, when I was 12, I used to play with remote control cars all day and you know tear them apart and put them back together and build remote control airplanes. And now I'm running a business and um, it's completely different, my day-to-day passions and, and where my energy is going, right? And, and that's okay, it changes throughout your time. And when I'm 60, I'll probably be doing something very different. So like, I don't think there's ever a, like an end goal of finding your passion. Your passion is, finding your passion is a process. So what would you tell somebody who's kind of in pursuit of that passion they're looking to start something, whether that be a business, a blog, a podcast, they want to start creating, they want to put themselves out there, but they're hesitant because they, they don't know what that passion is. And everybody says, you need to find your passion. Like you need to, you need to do what makes you happy. And what advice would you give to that person who's hesitating, who is, is struggling to take that first step? Because you've been a part of a few different your startup ventures, you're producing content all the time, you're challenging people to step outside of their box. You know, if, how do you package that in a way that can inspire somebody to go out and start their own thing? Well, my, my advice is just start with the smallest action you can take to get that idea or venture moving. And I think that first step is just telling someone about it. Maybe it's your significant other or your your mom and just saying maybe you're interested in starting a youtube channel because you want to share ideas that you have about art maybe you create art out of duct tape i don't know whatever it may be whatever weird thing that you want to do that really just you love to do uh tell someone about it that's the first thing to do start communicating it um get your message out there start sharing on Facebook, on LinkedIn, just with your family and just get it out there and say, Hey, I have this interest and I'm exploring it. That's the first thing that I should do, you know, to turn an idea into something 10 years in the future. That's like a, a really successful business venture. The next thing that you have to do from that idea is to just, uh, to, to speak and to tell other people about your idea, um, and get the ball rolling, start having conversations with other people about it. Um, and, and start with the, yeah, the lowest common de- denominator of action. For instance, if you want to start a business that is going to, to clean up the Pacific Ocean of trash and of plastic, then the first thing that you should go do is pick up a plastic bag from the beach and throw it in the recycling bin. That's the first thing you should do. Do your end goal, like what you're trying to accomplish in the smallest actions as possible to start out. Yeah, that's great advice because it's just, you know, you the first step is doing the the small things and people look at huge influencers or people that are are way like down the road in their in their businesses and they're like that's where I want to be like that's yeah. how do I get there and everybody thinks it's just like a step by step process to get there for example i just read this book called 1 million followers and it's basically a process to get 1 million followers on facebook it's a step-by-step process it tells you exactly how this one guy did it there's proof that he's taught other people and mentored other people on how to get to that point but that process is the process that he used it's not necessarily the process that the cookie cutter process to get to where you want to be 
because first of all, you, you probably don't know specifically where you want to go. It's going to change over, over time, like you said before. And it's just taking those small steps and just getting the ball rolling. And that's kind of like the, the first step. Definitely. So I'm interested in learning a little bit about your, your time at Babson, because I, I applied to Babson. I was going to go to Babson, but I ended up going to Rutgers business school instead. What was it like going to school there? Because if you don't, if listeners don't know, Babson's like the best school for, for entrepreneurship. And I was like super impressed when I toured and it was really awesome. So kind of what was your experience like at Babson? Yeah, it was, it was a good experience overall. And uh, it was a weird experience. It's hard for me to compare Babson to other schools because Babson's the only college I've gone to. But one of the really unique things about Babson is freshman year, you take a year long course, two semesters where you and 10 other students start a business. Babson, they give you a $3,000 grant and you start a business on campus. First semester, you go through, you go through ideation, you know, you pitch it to the investors, which are the teachers. And uh, you then in the second semester, you actually launch the business and actually sell. There's a lot of classes and out there that help you build business plans at other universities, but not many that actually help you like experience what it's like to start the business. So when I toured, I'm from Southwest Florida. And the biggest thing that inspired me to go to Babson was entrepreneurship. I heard that I'd always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I'd started some small businesses like in high school. And when I heard that we would get to start a business with other students for freshman year, I was like, all right, this is, this is unique. This is where I need to be. And, uh, the experience was, it was, it was awesome. And it was not at the same time, I think that, and I'm talking specifically about the, um, freshman year class. It's like, you come in, you expect, you want to start the next unicorn startup with these, you know, you're so hyped up. And like the first week I remember everyone, like there was this buzz around campus. You want to meet people. And a lot of the people are meeting was like, all right, what business do you want to start? Like what, where, you know, where do you want to be? What are your passions? Like, and that was like, so cool to me. I was so excited. And then you get into the nitty gritty of it and you realize like, all right, there's so much, there's only so much you can do in class throughout the course of this, this, uh, this venture, um, where, you know, a lot of the businesses end up being like apparel businesses or custom printing on like bottles. Ours was actually ironically, uh, a marketing business for other, uh, businesses that were in the class. So we would like help design websites and help them with marketing strategy and stuff. Now that's like, smart. <laughs> yeah, it all actually didn't go too well, to be honest. Um, everyone was so focused, like it was mostly product businesses selling like, you know, those those wallet cases on the back of your phones. Um, and, you know, so most people were investing money in inventory. Um, that's a big lesson we learned is like, your money is like probably better spent early on um, in time resources on like getting a small amount of inventory and then putting a bunch of time towards selling that. And instead of locking all your up in your money in inventory, like you got to sell what you, you have. So if you just spend everything on inventory, you're not going to have any budget left to actually go out and sell it. Right. Which is, which is important. So that experience was, was awesome. You get to go through the whole process. The one thing that was just weird and kind of disappointing is like, you think you're going to start the next unicorn start. It just doesn't happen. You only have not like nine months in the class. Right. Um, beyond that, what's cool about Babson is they give you so many resources. There's this blank center for entrepreneurship. You can go there and they always have advisors that you can talk to, talk to them about accounting. You talk to them about law. You can talk to them about marketing. 
and they have a ton of connections that they they want you to succeed. They want your business to succeed. You tell them about your idea. They're not going to take your idea. They're going to help you with your idea and do everything they can to, to connect you with the people that will, will push your business forward. So if you go there and seek out the resources, if you talk to the professors, like they just want to help. And that's the coolest thing is that there's such a supportive culture there um, that supports you turning your ideas into something real. And also there's just so many students there are you running their own businesses um, or trying to start something. So it just gives you that like confidence and encouragement to want to do it yourself. Cause starting a business for a college student uh, is not, you know, the most normal thing you think going to college, I tell my parents, like that's what I did when I, or my family at large, like that starting a business in college, like to me, it felt normal cause everyone was doing it, but it's just not that normal. I don't know. It, is it normal? I don't know. I don't know, but no, not at all. And because, so I want to, so my sophomore year, I developed an iOS app called napkin. And what it did is that it allowed you to share your social media email and your phone number with the QR code. Essentially it was like a contact app, right? So I raised a bunch of money on, or not a bunch, but a decent amount of money on Kickstarter. I put all of my like, communion money confirmation money all of that stuff like like all my savings into the development of this app launched it and nobody wanted it and it was like there was no support system nobody else was doing anything there it was hard to find people with you know that wanted to do these kinds of things after a while people started to say oh this is kind of cool like i I would really want to help out and people started asking me saying like hey like how do i develop my own app but there wasn't that community there. It, like you said, you know, you came home and you just thought that like everybody in college is starting their own business or like that's the norm because those are the people you're with. That's kind of one of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast is because I want to build that community of like-minded people who are getting after it and challenging people to, you know, go on walks and think about, you know, what they want to do and starting new things and, like I, it's it's kind of building that that community that, that you had at Babson and just it's it's so powerful too because yeah. when you're you surround yourself with people then it's it's awesome. And and looking back, you know, maybe instead of going to Babson, which largely Babson is a community, maybe back in Naples I could have started a a meetup where young entrepreneurs get together every month and and just talk about their businesses, support each other, collaborate, and that would have given a, a similar you know, output to, to my experience at Babson. Um, one of the weird things at Babson, the fact that everyone is starting their own business kind of pressures you into doing it when maybe it's not the best thing for you to do or the right time to do it. Um, and there can be, there's this weird competitive aspect to businesses there. If you're a student, uh, it feels, you often feel like you're competing against the other student ventures or you're kind of, you often like, may compare yourself to them. And what I realize when I get out in the real world, real world is that real world business is way more collaborative, actually. And it's how can I help you and you help me than it is like strictly competition. It felt much more like direct peer to peer competition uh, when I was in school. And I, th- I think maybe that's because of the nature of school and that you're you know competing in your classes for different grades and and in sports. Right. So it's like this weird competitive aspect and you get on the road you realize like it's actually a little business is actually a little different than that um and you actually have 
more opportunities to help each other than you than you think. Um, so overall, people are just like, sorry, you go. Yeah, I was gonna say overall, Babson, awesome experience. The students are really hardworking, motivated, are all really dedicated to either starting a business or getting good jobs. The teachers, the class sizes are like under twenty. The teachers have give you so much attention. They care if you go up to them and ask after the fact, like, you know, deeper questions or want support from them for your business or your ideas, they will help. There's resources at the college for you to, to help with your business venture. There are networking events and like, and like panels, like once a week where you can go to and you can learn from other entrepreneurs that have graduated from Babson or from all over. So all in all, the, the experience was awesome. And if you have an opportunity, uh, you know, if, if you're a 18 year old, you know, high school student thinking about attending a school and you're really interested in entrepreneurship, give Babson some consideration and, and, and think about it. That's something that I've been thinking about a lot is like the the education experience. Because as a result of of COVID, everything has gone online. And it's made me think about how education is going to change moving forward. And kind of hearing what Babson was like, you know, small class sizes. The faculty were extremely helpful. Everybody's pretty like-minded, even though there's lots of competition. But, you know, you get that competition in, in anything because people want to people want to kick ass. So they want to do well. And I want to ask you, what do you think the future of education might look like? Um, thank you for asking this because I was, I was just talking to my business partner, Mitch, about this yesterday. And uh, my what I'm thinking is that institutional education through college is going to turn much more into experiences than it is going to be about learning. I think we can actually more effectively learn on our own time through YouTube, through computers, through Khan Academy, through courses, learn the material, learn the theory on our own time. Um, but being at an institution gives you the best opportunity to collaborate with other people and to actually experience it um with others and that's that's super important so i also think that professors instead of becoming you know the future of professors they'll not just be teaching um they will be mainly focused on curriculum building we have so many online tools that allow us to to kind of copy our thoughts and copy our teachings right on the video and we can all listen to these lectures online and if teachers can utilize that technology, they can free up the time that they normally spend teaching and spend it towards creating new curriculum, diving deeper into their current curriculum so that we can get a deeper understanding of, know, of, of, that, of that curriculum and then creating experiences for the students that really allow us to practice it. Because really in the long run, in our careers, once you graduate college, whatever, like you have to apply this stuff, the stuff that you learn in order to actually make it work and make help others and help yourself. So I think, yeah, two things. If colleges are gonna survive, which they might not over the next 20, 30, 100 years, they have to get more focused on creating experiences for their student and enabling way, them ways to learn through technology online first, and then creating those unique experiences like studying abroad, like starting a business, like, um, you know, unique things like starting a, a group, starting a, a team, you know, maybe being a coach, like just experiences. 
um, and that teachers, college professors specifically, will focus less of their time on day-to-day -day teaching and grading and more of their time on curriculum building um, using technology and using their knowledge to, to, to you know, leverage technology and get more of their ideas out there and dive deeper. Exactly. And that's, I like how you said, you know, the future of professors. Like when I think of my favorite professors that made the biggest impact on me, they one challenged me to do stuff outside of the, the curriculum. They two, they inspired me. So they showed me, Hey, like, this is where you can go. This is what you're capable of. Go do it. And the other thing is they gave you, gave me that experience. You know, they, they gave me opportunities. They introduced me to people. They gave me the resources needed to get to where they were talking about and kind of where I wanted to go. So in terms of future educators, I think that it's going to be, yes, the people that are building the curriculum, but they're building the curriculum using all of the resources and information that exists on the internet because there's so much stuff out there. Like people yeah. are, guys like us, we're producing content, you know, all the time. And a lot of our stuff goes, you know, unnoticed. If there's somebody that could come in, and this is kind of what I think future educators are going to do, is they're going to scavenge the internet. They're going to find the resources that are relevant and build curriculum around the stuff that's being posted by independent journalists, podcasters, content creators, video, video people, videographers, photographers, and putting this stuff into, you know, courses and stuff that's relevant. So essentially it's like a curation. You're, you're a curator and you're bringing everything together and you're structuring in a way like, Hey, you know, this is, these are the resource. If you want to get to here, then here are the resources that may help you get in that direction. It's not the only way, but based on my experience, this, this might be a good way to do it. I, I, I think that's true as well. That's really, that's really good. Uh, um, I'm take perspective. Yeah. I, I've just been thinking a lot about the, the future of education. I, I, I'm happy that you have an opinion on it too. Yeah. I mean, looking back, like at my time in college, I'd say the best experiences I had were like, I, I studied abroad in, in the Prague Czech Republic. Having that experience to like get a global perspective was unreal and amazing. And, and it was one of the things that opened my eyes up to like, as we were talking about earlier, that the United States infrastructure of our automobiles is not normal. It's, it's actually, it's actually weird. It's different to the majority of the world and everywhere you go is different and everywhere is an experiment. And unless you travel and have these new experiences, you, you, you don't witness those experiments that are constantly going around in the world. And, you know, we kind of live in our silo, right? So like I was in Amsterdam in Amsterdam, everyone bikes. It's like, I don't know the exact stats, but it's like 80% of the, the traffic is from bicycles and it's like 20% from cars. And when I went there, I was like, wow, like, why don't our cities embrace something like this? Because it just really seems to work. <laughs> so for me, college, like if I look back, you know, my first year starting a business experience through FME, that was one of the best experiences. I look back and I, I don't think about the things that I learned. I think about the things that I experienced because those are the things that really tell stories in my mind and like I remember and will always hold on to. So I'm grateful for that. Exactly. And I was in, I have a lot of family in Copenhagen, Denmark. Nice. And when I went and I visited them three, three or four years ago and was there for two weeks. 
and everyone rides bikes. There's there's significantly more bikes there than cars. And driving in Copenhagen is a disaster. It's like <laughs> you're you're driving. I mean, you're you're on the right side of the road, but like you're driving and then there's a traffic light for cars. Then there's a traffic light for for bikes and then there's pedestrians walking. So it's like, all right, no cars are coming. Check. And then you have the bikes. All right. There's no bikes coming. Check. And then there's no pedestrians like, all right, now I can turn. But it's it's funny, like we the United States hasn't gotten there yet. And it's the experience of, you know, going and witnessing these things and saying just just the thought and having the conversations of, you know, maybe maybe we could be like this. Maybe we can we can do this and implement this kind of change. Yeah. Here's a here's a hot take to um, I hope maybe 40 years in the future, maybe 60 years in the future, uh, a boring company. Elon Musk like makes waves. We can put cars underneath the ground, put all automobiles underneath the ground. A place like New York City, imagine New York if all of the cars were underground and the pedestrians and, and bicyclists got to own the streets again. Um, and the streets turned from the concrete jungle that they are now to trees everywhere like Central Park, um, maybe some flowing water, some fountains, some like small shops in the middle and you could walk and you wouldn't need to worry about looking both ways five times because you're worried about some car speeding around the corner um you could bring your kids out and not worry about about cars about people hitting them and about them about them being safe like you just go out enjoy the greenery that is new york city streets while all of the mass transit moves underground 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 i think i think we could uh we could do that <laughs> it take, it's going to take a lot of resources a lot of vision and a lot of embrace from the community, but like, there's a better way to do things. I like that take. That's a good take. Are you, are you a, are you a Musk guy? You like Musk? Yeah. I think he, uh, I mean, he's the things he's done in the last 15 years, like are insane. And, um, I mean, I wouldn't consider myself someone who aspired to, I consider myself a visionary, but the amount of I mean, he absolutely lives, breathes and like his, his business is 24 seven. And my business is such a big part of me, but like, I like that breathing room, um, and more space than he does. It's like, but I admire what he has, has done. And also just how he's like going against the norm and saying like, guys, we, we can just, we can do better. And it's, everything's just, he makes things sound logical. And like where it's like, oh, that's too hard. He's just like, well, we're just going to do it. And it's like, we need more people like that, <laughs> right? Just like serial optimists who are like going to make the world better. And everyone can be that person, honestly, if they just uh, realize that like, yeah, you can do this. Yeah, it's one of my professors, like one of my favorite professors, he, he likes Musk, but he thinks that like Tesla as an investment is outrageous. But yeah. And it, it's so funny. He posts on LinkedIn and his posts are always trending with like hashtag Musk, Elon Musk or hashtag Tesla. Like all of these Tesla investors are always commenting on all of his stuff. And I always text him. I'm like, Yo, so, um, you know, when when should I jump into Tesla? He goes, never. Don't do it. Never. <laughs> but yeah, dude. Five years ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I did. Um, I invested... When was this? When it was at, I was in when it was at the stock price was at like 300. 
and then it dropped down to like 250 i'm like oh screw this i'm out and ever ever since then i'm i'm like okay i'm not betting on individual stocks i'm gonna be smart yeah well i'll say if you're gonna invest in any of elon's companies like you gotta want to invest in like with like a 30-year mindset because none of these are going to come to fruition uh in the next year two three four five like there he's working on things that are are still 30 years in the future and that will fully come to fruition in their grand nature, like in the far future. So like, I, I think honestly, I, I don't know, you, you, Tesla, like more Teslas are going to get sold for real. They're just better. They're just better, more efficient, safer, faster, better looking, better for the environment, better for our health. They're just, they make a better product. And like, they're they're not going to slow down anytime soon whether their stock price is healthy as as it relates to like how much money they're actually making i don't know but as a whole like i i i have trust in the 30-year outlook of elon musk and his companies (laughs) i'll say that yeah i i also do but it's i mean i was also pretty young when i when i was when i invested in that and i was just like oh my god like i you know, I'm taking this advice from like random people and then I'm like, it went down. Like I, I need to get out. I need to get out. Yeah. Nice. But I guess the next thing I wanted to talk about is failure because everybody is confronted with failure and the, what you do with it and kind of how you compartmentalize that and move forward kind of dictates where you're you're going to go so kind of what when did you fail or what was the biggest failure that kind of projected you forward how did you reflect on it how did you how did it change the way that you move forward yeah i'll uh i'll tell a story about my freshman year of high school i so i was like 14 i started a fishing lure company called uh drag happy fishing lures i love to make fishing lures i love well i love fishing and once i was like i'm gonna make my own fishing lure i tied a bucktail jig um which is basically a lead head a hook and then it's actually a deer tail that you tie onto it um looking back not the most humane type of of material to use for fishing lures and I'd probably change <laughs> that now that's a failure um but i went out with my brother at night one night i i decided i want to make this lure a little different so i put glow in the glow in the dark flashaboo it's called we would hold it up to our lights and uh to our headlights and that night in like an hour period we caught like 20 snook all on lures that i had made and i had i uh hooked up with a tarpon it jumped in the out of the water it was maybe like a 50 pound tarpon i would never caught one before i ended up losing it and I, we got the hook back and the hook was, it was, wasn't strong enough. So it had actually bent into the shape of like a, like a, like a, um, it was basically straightened out. So the hook was just not strong enough because the fish was too big. And that night I was like, we caught so many fish on these lures. I got to start making these and selling them. So I, uh, started making more, bought more equipment. My, I remember my, my grandpa who inspired me to be an entrepreneur. He ran a wood pattern shop for his whole life until he was like 92 um, he was always making things. He gave me $500 to like invest in equipment, um, to, to be more efficient with making the lures. And I went, I was like, how am I going to sell these? All right. Where do people hang out that fish in Florida? All right. Florida sportsmen 
forum.com. This is back in the days where like forums were like a huge gathering place for people. And I think Facebook groups and, you know, more mainstream social media has definitely taken that over. But I was like, I'm going to make a website. I learned how to make one on like Weebly, I think. Um, start collecting payments online through PayPal. And, uh, you know, I started posting on Florida Sportsman trying to promote the business. And I actually ended up selling a, I, I like, can't even remember this point. It was so long ago. But I think that the best sale I ever had was like $120 for these custom lures that um, I ended up telling telling the guy that he could be a um, like a like a pro sponsor of ours. So even though he wasn't a pro, he was just an amateur fisherman. I was like, he's going to be <laughs> one of our like anglers, right? So he was on the site, and I think he was really investing in us because we were, uh, and I was running this as a fourteen year old, right? And I was just getting my getting my word out there, um, trying to communicate on those forums. But I think the the failure where this happened was. I used to get kind of made fun of in school for it. It's like, oh, drag happy fishing lures. He's running a little fishing lure business. And I felt really insecure about it. And uh, I think it it thwarted me from wanting to go all in and really just like promote it and like tell all my friends about it and tell my family about it. Because I had a few friends that were, maybe they didn't know it, but they kind of poked a little fun at me. I remember I'm 14 and I'm in high school and, you know, I got braces and, and acne and like I'm a little self-conscious and um I was I that getting a little bit of ridicule from them just it it made me not want to go all in and now looking back that at that I see that as a failure and something to learn from and that I was listening to those those small voices and from you know my surrounding peers that it's like, this isn't something I should do. And I listened to them and it, it, it prevented me from wanting to just do it. Um, and I think that that happens throughout life for everyone. They have something that they want to do. They may feel that it's not normal or that their family might not support them or their friends. But through that routine of like doing things that other people weren't fully in support of, I learned to kind of, to let, to, let those voices die down in my head and, and just do things that I had the vision for and, and knew I could be successful with. So I think each, you know, in each project and venture I've worked on since then, I've, the, the voices around me have actually fueled me more. Whereas in the past they would thwart me. I love how you said that. Cause I can resonate with that so much just from starting random things. Like I, I can't tell you how many times, I had an idea and I made a website for it and I posted about it and then people I'll be hanging out with someone and someone will make like some snarky remark about something that I'm starting and how they don't believe in, the, in what I'm doing or kind of they don't understand like, dude, like, why are you doing this? Like, I can't tell you how many people have asked me, like, why are you why are you doing this podcast? Why? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? And it's so difficult to kind of turn that off, turn the channel. And just say, yeah. I'm just doing it because I, I want to do it. So I guess, yeah. how did you persevere and kind of shut those voices off and realize like, hey, like, I'm just going to do what I want to do? Yeah. Um, I don't know if I intentionally did it or there. I don't think there was a point where I'm like, I'm going to shut those voices off. And honestly, still today, those voices affect affect me. I think they just affect me less. And I realize that. 
it, I don't think it's it's good to shut those voices off. Like it's important to listen, listen to the people around you. If they're if they're if they're pushing you to think differently or maybe reconsider, you know, they, they're they're doing you a service and like it's worth listening. But listening to them doesn't mean that you have to follow what they're saying. So now I just think I have a different relationship with advice that I get, and it's like some of it listen to hundred percent even if it's opposing you. Um, but you have to, um, yeah, know what's worth listening to and what's not. So honestly, those voices will always affect you always, especially as you try to do bigger and bigger things. Like as the stakes get higher, there are going to be more voices and that fear is still going to be there. So like that fears, yeah, that fear never leaves. Uh, and again, it's, it's a process. I'll kind of make a surfing metaphor again. It's like, at first I started surfing about a year and a half ago. First, I was scared of sharks. I'd go out there and that's all I could think about. All you could think about, the sharks are under me. I would turn every shadow that I see around me into a shark. You know, that piece of moss, that's a shark, right? It's like, <laughs> you just turn, you just, your mind is playing tricks on you, right? And over time you keep surfing, you keep going out. And then by the, you know, a year in, sometimes you go out and you don't even think about the sharks that are around you. You know, they're there, you know, they're there, but you've come to peace with it that it, that, that you just got to keep doing this. You got to keep doing what you're doing. Right. The only thing that has given me that change in mindset is going out more often and just getting used to the fact that yes, danger exists, but you can't stop the way you really want to live because there's danger there. Exactly. I, I love the way you put that. And I was talking to my friend yesterday and his advice was, you know, don't take advice from people that aren't where you want to go. So are, are kind of, or that don't inspire you or are not a role model for you. Always listen, but don't let the, what people say affect you, you know, just compartmentalize it, think about it and then use that. And, but always think in the back of your head, you know, if this makes me happy, this is what I'm going to do. 100%. Failing is a good thing. It leads to success in the long run. And there's no successful person out there that has not failed and that does not continue to fail every single day when they wake up one way or another. It's just part of life and something that you got to embrace. Yeah. And I'm reading Robert Iger's book right now, CEO of Disney. And yeah. I just got to the part where he took on the role of CEO. So when the, the prior CEO was was booted out and he they were going through the process, the board was going through the process of bringing him on. There was so much negative press around, you know, there, the, the prior CEO is Mike Eisner. He's just another like, and at the point, Iger was a, the COO and everybody, there was so much press about, oh, he's just going to be another Eisner. He's, he's just going to you know, keep, keep leading Disney down the wrong route and all this mm -hmm. stuff. And he just, he talks about this and talks about, you know, just, you can't focus on the stuff, but it affected him. And there were certain times where he lashed out at the media or he lashed out at the board. And it just goes to prove that this kind of stuff affects everybody, but it's the people that are able to kind of, you know, control the way that they react. Cause that's the only thing we can do is control the way that we react to certain things and use that to, to kind of move forward. 100%. I think everyone should try comedy once in life. I haven't done it. I'm still too scared. 
but like going up there you talk to any comedian like the first few times they go up like it's just bad and like people don't laugh and that's the worst thing that you know worst feeling um but like going through an experience like that and then walking you know and you bombing on stage right then walking off and realizing that like everything's okay like life's gonna go on like having experience like experiences like that just trains you for the future where it's like really their opinions of me are just don't really matter <laughs> it just doesn't matter i've just got to keep trying and keep doing new things so i still have not become brave enough to try it i want to try it as like a personal experiment but i, I think everyone should try to find their own version maybe of, a, of, of bombing up on a comedy stage and maybe intentionally fail doing something that they know they're not going to be good at because they realize at the end that it's okay. Exactly. And I, I, I love watching comedians because they're all so smart and they know how to yeah, exactly. gauge an audience. And like, I recently listened to the Jerry Seinfeld's new thing or watched Jerry Seinfeld's new thing on Netflix. And if you haven't listened to that or watched that, you have to watch it. It's so funny. But dude, he's he's so clever. But I definitely agree. Like, you know, everybody should have that experience where they absolutely blow up. Like one of my favorite podcasts is called Chasing Excellence. And it's by Ben Bergeron, who's the best CrossFit coach in the world. And one of the things that he always focuses on is like, and I'm, I'm into CrossFit, but the thing that he always focuses on is everybody should blow up in a workout and kind of understand yeah. what that feel likes and just murder themselves. Like put, put yourself all the way, go into the red, feel experience what that feels like, and then learn from that. Okay. That's my, that's, that was my edge or that, that was the, that was me pushing myself and embarrassing myself essentially. Yeah. And then learning from it. That's me blowing up on the, the comedy stage, you know? Yeah. That's interesting. And that, I mean, that's when your muscles grow, right? When they've almost reached a point of failure, essentially. That's that's how you grow. That's how lobsters grow, actually. Lobsters, during their first, like, five years of, of their life, every, like, I think four times a year, uh, they shed their shell. And when they start feeling pressure, like their shell's too small, they shed their shell. And they have to retreat into a cave uh, to protect themselves from the outer elements. Uh, but a new shell grows, and it's bigger. And then it happens again, and it happens again. And there's more pressure and a new shell and there's more pressure and a new shell. And each time they have to retreat into that cave and, and regrow that shell. And, and I don't know, I think sometimes that happens with us too. You're going to go through stages where you're like, all right, ready to go out guns ablaze and try something really new. You might blow up and embarrass yourself. You might retreat into your cave for a little bit, but then realize like, all right, it's time to go out there and try it again, and grow again. But after five years, um, lobsters only shed their shell like once a year or something like that or once every two years they, they start growing and they actually start growing slower because of it but in those early formative years like of your career of your business like you're going to be failing so many times you're going to be shedding your sh shell so many times uh but ultimately it leads to growth um and that's how you you know i think have to look at it is that it's just that pressure is actually a good thing in leading you down the right direction down the right path so moral of the story, if you want to, to start something or you're looking to start a business, be a lobster. Be a lobster. <laughs> Not a lobster roll. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I guess the last thing I want to I ask you is, and I just started asking this to my guests, but what do you think it means to be gritty and curious? Good question. That's the name of your podcast. It's a good podcast. You got good questions. Um gritty 
gritty is when you can get knocked down and get back up. You may be in your bed in the morning and you're like planning on going for a walk or a run or hanging out with friends, maybe going surfing, whatever it may be. And you're like, "Ah, I could really use 30 minutes more sleep. But you know in the back of your head that 30 minutes is not actually serving you. Um, You don't need more sleep. Just get up. Just get up. Be gritty. Get up. And to be curious is, uh, and I think it's just something that is you chasing moment by moment what interests you and something pops up, uh, you know, like I said earlier, I was interested in learning more about waves and wave dynamics and the physics behind that. It's like, let your curiosities flourish, like go research them because you want to learn more. Don't think that your your brain has has a limit. Like <laughs> just just keep learning. But most importantly, like if something's interesting, you don't thwart it. Like just go and like dive deep into it. You're gonna learn so much because you you have a passion for it. So I think being gritty is you got to get up in the morning even even when you don't want to. And being curious is like just following those little nuanced passions that you have moment by moment, day by day. You've been listening to the Gritty and Curious Show, where we have conversations with gritty and curious people. If you enjoyed the show, you'd be the best if you subscribed, left a rating, and wrote a quick review. By doing this, you let me know that you're listening, and it inspires me to keep creating. Until next time, stay gritty and